Life has its ups and downs. Life can be fun. Life is sometimes hectic. And life is full of choices. Welcome to Venture, the podcast that brings the biblical truth to the ventures that we face in this world and live in today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Venture Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Wills, lead pastor at Chandler's Church in Bellevue, Nebraska. I'm so glad you are joining us today. I'm glad you tuned in to us today because we are continuing uh, a great series, I believe it's a great series, about things that Jesus never said. And you might ask, why would a church talk about what he didn't say, what Jesus didn't say. You know, why would we on a podcast, Christian podcast, talk about what Jesus didn't say? Well, maybe you're new to Christianity or don't know much about the Bible. And if you ever look in the New Testament, there are four books of the Bible that are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you're reading in certain Bibles, you'll see that there are letters in red, you know, the color red. Those are the words of Jesus, okay? And they are powerful beyond measure. And so our purpose of the series is to find that true power of what Jesus said. And sometimes for me, it helps me to look at what he didn't say, you know, or what he could have said, or even maybe what I might have said in that situation. But we're going to look at what he didn't say, which will hopefully help us truly embrace the power of what he did say. And so today, uh, we're going to talk about what he didn't say about happiness. And what I know about almost... Most of you that probably listen to this podcast, you probably want to be happy, right? I don't know anybody who says, my goal is to be miserable in life. And so I want to look at what Jesus didn't say about happiness to find the power of what he did say. So let me give you a few things to just kind of kick us off just for fun, okay, uh, before we dive into our uh, talk today. Jesus did not say, go into all the world and preach whatever makes people happy. He did not say that. Okay, he also did not say, whoever wants me to be disciple, uh, to be my disciple, must affirm themselves, avoid the cross, and follow their own heart. He didn't say that as well. Uh, one of my favorite things he didn't say is he never said, ask and it will be given to you, because God is your celestial sugar daddy. Okay, He's, he's your cosmic Coke machine. He's your jacuzzi Jesus. He never said any of those things, right? And he never talked about those any of those that we talked about, about when it comes to happiness. And so today I want to look at uh, John's Gospel, John chapter 8 specifically, uh, we're going to look at a relatively long story in a sense that has an incredible power and application to every single one of us. And at the end of the story, we're going to look very specifically at what Jesus did not say because what he did say has the power and the potential to transform our lives. All right? So the story starts this way. It's in John chapter 8, starting with verse 2. Here's what it says. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Now, I want to pause there for a moment, because I want you to visualize this. Jesus is out kind of like in the town square, and is essentially leading a, a life group or a Bible study. And then some hypocritical religious men drag a woman in that was caught in the act of adultery. Now, there's a couple of things that if we had more time to talk about this today, I'd like to, to talk about it, but we don't. So, But I'm going to briefly mention them. One is, where was the man in, with this adulteress, right, in this story, who is obviously left out of the story? 
And secondly, where were they peeping at? You know, when you when they found a woman caught in adultery, what were they doing peeping around people's places or whatever, right? To me, that's a whole other story. Anyway, so these guys bring a woman caught in, in the act of adultery. And you can imagine if she was caught in the act, chances are very good that she was probably barely dressed, right? This would have been the lowest, most humiliating moment of her life. And what's interesting is the men didn't care about her. What they were doing is they're just trying to use her as a tool to get to Jesus. And you can see this uh, play out as we, as we read on. All right, listen. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses condemned uh, us to stone such woman or commanded us to stone such woman. Now, what do you say? They asked. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. So basically, they put Jesus in what appears to be a no-win situation. Why? Because according to the law of Moses, the woman was guilty. And according to the law of Moses, she should be stoned. And what I hope you'll understand is that the law of Moses says that this act of adultery should not have happened. And so Jesus is in an odd spot. Because he agrees and he says, if he, I should say, if he agrees, he, he goes and says, yes, go ahead and kill her. What happens is he loses his reputation for being full of grace and being loving. Yet on the other hand, he's, if he says, ah, it's, it's not that big of a deal, let's make an exception here. Then he's breaking the law of Moses and apparently condoning the sin of adultery. So what in the world is Jesus going to do? Well, let's read on. Listen to this. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, pause there, because this is, this is interesting to me. They ask him a question, and so he kneels down, and he starts scribbling some words in the sand. And so that raises the question that everybody's been asking since the very birth of this boy, Jesus. What did Jesus write on the sand? And the answer is, we don't know. We're not for sure, okay? But we have some ideas. Later manuscripts say that Jesus wrote the sins of the hypocritical men accusing the woman in the sand. We don't know for sure if that's true, but I tend to think that it's likely. And one of the reasons I believe that it's likely, it's, it's because that there's two different Greek words that can be translated to write down. One is the word, and it means to write down. And the other word, which is the word used in this context, is the word means against. So whatever Jesus wrote in the sand, it was something against something or against someone. And so I'm just visualizing this, right? Jesus is looking at the Pharisees. And maybe he sees Mr. Phil, Phil the Pharisee, and he looks up at Phil the Pharisee, and he, and he says, you know what, Phil, I'm going to start writing about you, okay? Phil, since I'm the son of God, and I know what is in your browser history, and I, I don't have to go very back very far to know, because of what I know, to realize you were searching just for bikini babes just this last Tuesday, or whatever, you know, he talks about and writes that down, right? And perhaps he's writing down the sins of those who are bringing an accusation against this woman. All right? And the story goes on. Verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, here's another interesting point. Okay? Again, in the original language, when it says without sin, it doesn't mean, mean whoever is without sin. But the Greek word also means not just without sin, but not only do you not want to sin. Okay? You don't even want to sin. It means literally without even wanting to sin. And I don't know about you, but there's been a lot of times when I didn't do the sin, right? But there was a part of me that, that really wanted to, right? 
I hope, I hope some of you have been there before and can relate to what I've, I've, I've felt, right? It's also true that people are really, really good at finding your sins, right? Pointing out your sins, and, and they're pretty good at covering up their own. It's amazing how easy it is to point the finger at other people when in you, in fact, are doing the very same thing or maybe even something worse or, or something different. Whoever is not only without sin, but you've never even wanted to sin, you can pick up that rock and be the first one to hurl at it at this woman. And remind you, she was already so ashamed and so humiliated at this point, right? All right, let's read on. Look at verse, starting verse 8. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Here's what he did not say. Jesus did not say, neither do I condemn you, so go now and do whatever makes you happy. Go now and follow your own heart. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anybody. Go now and you do you, boo, okay? Do, do, do whatever makes you happy. Jesus did not say this, okay? But he asked her, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she replied, no one, sir. And then Jesus said what? Neither do I condemn you. And then this is what Jesus said. He said, go now and leave your life of sin. This wasn't a, conde a condemning judgmental statement. This was a, uh, full of love. And you can feel the urgency. He's like, go now. Don't wait. Go. You're free. Go. Go now. Don't wait. Live a better life. He's like, go now. Don't wait. You don't have to live in shame anymore. You don't have to live for the lower things of this world. You don't have to be afraid or, or live in darkness. I, I've set you free. Go now and, and be free from your life of sin. It's full of love and full of grace. You don't have to be held hostage anymore. You're free to go and walk in truth. So why is it that so many of us, including me, give into temptation so often? Why is it? The answer is it looks appealing, right? It looks fun. You know, how many of you would probably agree that sin could probably be fun, right? Some of you will probably are like, Dan, I'm not saying nothing. I'm, you know, I'm driving a car right now or I'm sitting where I am. And, and if I, if I agree with you, then, you know, lightning's going to strike me down. Right. But reality is sin can be fun. Hebrews actually calls it the fleeting pleasures of sin. It's pleasurable for a little while, right? Sin can be fun. And if you don't think it's fun, then you didn't do it right or you're lying. Okay. It's fun for a little while. And then it'll mess you up, right? It'll mess you up. So what does temptation do? I want you to think about this. I believe sin promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God. Sin promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God and eventual pain to you, okay? Sin, temptation, it promises satisfaction, you know, you're going to like this, and it's going to be good. It's going to make you feel happy. You're going to really enjoy it. It promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God and eventual pain to you. I like to try to get into the mind of this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. We have no idea what type of woman that, that she was. Okay, Maybe she was an evil woman that woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm going to wreck somebody's marriage and just have sex as freely as I can. Maybe, maybe she was like that. The odds are she, she wasn't. Odds are that she was probably a decent, kind, God-fearing woman. 
And, and I'm just imagining in, in a modern day context, okay? So help me out because it helps me think about this. I'm kind of visualizing perhaps she was in a marriage, right? Maybe it was flat. You know, they loved each other a lot, but then it was flat. And maybe her husband took her for granted and didn't appreciate her. And maybe he was verbally abusive and who knows, maybe even worse or something, okay? So perhaps this lady goes and, and, and does something that will help her make her feel better. And for her, maybe it's get a job. And she starts to feel a little bit better, better about herself. And, and she's working next to all sorts of people. And then one day she's interacting with a guy at work and, and he's kind of fun and they have a good conversation. And it's totally innocent and she enjoys it. And then after a while, he, he starts paying a little attention to her and she feels a little, a little bit guilty about it, but it's still kind of innocent. And, and he compliments her and he appreciates her work. And, and he says, you did a good job on this. And, and one day he even notices her hair. And her husband didn't even know she had hair, you know? And and she goes and gets this highlight done and her husband didn't notice and the guy at work notices. And then, and then she finds herself looking forward to interactions with him. She doesn't really want to, but her heart, heart just kind of moves towards that direction. And then he follows her on Instagram and he starts liking and commenting on, on every post, you know, fire and heart symbols and LOLs. And she finds herself liking this. And she looks forward to seeing him during the day. And then one day they both stay late and he opens up about his marriage and his wife is, isn't so good. And then a few weeks later he tells her, you know what, I think I made a mistake. I shouldn't have married her. I, I, wish, I wish I had married someone like you. And then he accidentally brushes up against her arm as they walk by and she feels this tingly-wingly feeling. And, and then she wonders, was that an accident or was it on purpose? Maybe there's something there. And then she starts to think, think you know, would, 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 would he make me happy? He could make me happy, right? And then she tells her girlfriend, and her girlfriend says, you know what? You need to follow your heart. You do whatever makes you happy. You do you, boo. We don't know how it happened, but it, but it could have been like that. And step by step, seemingly innocent step, one seemingly insignificant decision after another and after another and after another and after another, and she finds herself barely dressed, in the most publicly shamed moment of her life. How did she get there? Well, sin promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God and eventual pain to yourself. Why do so many of us end up in similar places today? Well, I believe it's because we live in a very relativism culture, okay? What does the idea of relativism uh, mean? Relativism is the belief that everything is relative, in other words, there's no absolute truth, okay? You hear this all the time in, in culture today. Well, that may be true to you, but that's not true to me. That's your truth, but I have a different truth. You, you live your truth, and I'll live my truth, and there's no such thing as absolute truth. So I'm just going to do whatever makes me happy. Well, here's the fundamental problem, okay? Without a belief in absolute truth, then truth is defined by whatever makes me happy, and then when the bottom line is my happiness, then happiness becomes the standards by which I judge my actions, okay? Let me repeat that last part. When the bottom line is my happiness, then happiness becomes the standards by which I judge my actions. If it makes me happy, then it must be good. And if it doesn't make me happy, it must be bad, right? I don't know. I, I, I know everyone says this is wrong, but it feels so right, right? Well, what is the root cause of this problem? 
for so many of us, the problem is that we think that happiness and holiness are at odds. But deep down, somehow, because of our distorted view of what Christ represents and teaches us, we tend to think that you have to choose one or the other. If you choose holiness, if you say, I want to be holy, then you are destined for a life of being miserable forever and ever. And this is what I believed for many years as I was in my late teens and early 20s. When, when I was having fun doing all my stuff, I was, I was feeling drawn to God. But I thought if I really became a true, absolute follower of Christ, then I'm not going to have any fun. And I'm going to be destined to a life of wearing braided belts and pleated khaki pants and, and listening to Amy Grant tapes for the rest of my life. Now, if you don't know what a tape is, you certainly don't know who Amy Grant is, okay? <laughs> the good news, you could still go to heaven if you don't know who Amy Grant is. Barely, but, but you can go to heaven. Anyway, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to be miserable. Our God is not in heaven looking down upon you whom he loves and is saying, for God so loved the world that he wants his children to be holy and miserable, right? No, he is a good, loving father. In fact, Jesus said this about God. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, I'm going to bet a lot of you probably like to give gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? If we find ourselves at odds with, you know, I want to be holy, but I don't want to be unhappy, the problem is you're looking for happiness in the, in the wrong place. You're looking at a lower place when God designed you for a higher place. In fact, Max Lucado tells a great illustration. I'm going to make it my own, so if you don't like it, blame me, not Max, okay? But Max asked the question, would a fish ever be happy on the beach? I want you to visualize this, okay? You take a fish out of water, put a fish on the beach, answer the question, is the fish on the beach happy? Answer is no. Okay. What is the, what's the fish doing? The fish is flopping. So imagine we give the fish some things that, from this world to help the fish feel happy. Say we give him a, a pile of cash. Okay, It's raining Benjamins. Is the fish happy now? The answer is still no. What if instead we throw a party for the fish? We get all the best-looking fish out of the sea, and we put them there together, and we give them some cool beats so the fish can bop to the beat, then they're all dying, and, and is the fish happy now? No. What if the fish takes a selfie, gets a record number of likes, hashtag fish bod, everybody goes crazy, is the fish happy? No. What if you fish, uh, give the fish a Playboy, I mean a Playfish magazine, <laughs> right? Look at the tail on that fish, right? Is the fish happy? The answer is the fish is never happy. Why? Because the fish was not created for the beach. If you find yourself wondering why you aren't happy, Living for the things of this world, maybe you should lower your expectations of earth because you were not created for the earth. You were created by God for God to live for the things that are not of this world. And that's why sin promises and never delivers. It promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God and eventual pain to you. So what do we need to understand? To me, this is so important. So I hope you maybe you can have a chance or an opportunity to write this down or, or um, you know, remember the point of this podcast and come back to it. But this is important. Holiness isn't mutually exclusive of happiness. Okay, holiness is is not mutually exclusive of happiness. In fact, they are very very related. Okay, holiness, in fact, is the pathway to true happiness and joy. Right? Let me say that again. 
They're not mutually exclusive. They are united. They are connected, serving God, living for him, not for the lower things of this world, but for the higher things that are eternal. That is the pathway to true meaning in life. I love the way David said it in Psalm 1611. He said, you, God, will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Not the fleeting pleasures of sin, but the eternal pleasures. And that's why when this this woman, who was guilty as we are guilty, was caught in the most shame-filled moment of her life, Jesus did not look at her and say, you know what, I'm embarrassed by your behavior. After all I've done for you, that's the way you choose to live. You're pathetic. No, what Jesus said is there's something so much better. He said, be free, go walk in truth. Go now, leave the lower things of this sin-filled world and live with the things that really, really matter in life. What do you do when you know what's right, but you keep doing what's wrong? What do you do when you feel trapped? You know, it looks good, it promised something, but it didn't deliver. And now you can't find your way out of it. Maybe you're medicating something. You're trying to fill a void with approval. Will, Will you like me enough? Maybe for you, it's something that you smoke, something that you pop, something that you drink. Maybe for it's you, it's you, you feel empty on the inside. So you fill your inside up with food and you keep eating and you keep eating and then, and then you feel embarrassed. And so you try to hide it, but you just keep doing it. Some of you, perhaps it's the feeling of emptiness. And so you somehow, you believe that if I get the something, whatever it is, the pair of shoes, the purse, the image, and so you overspend and you overspend and you wait for the box to be delivered to your house. Whatever's in that box is what I'm going to need to really be happy. For some of you, it might be a critical spirit. The way you deal with your low self-esteem, you, you pick everything apart and you don't know why you do it, but you just do li- don't like anyone and you don't like anything. And so you try to use it to make you feel better, but then you don't feel better. So you continue picking people apart. Some of you, you're stuck in a lust-filled prison. You clicked and you looked and you clicked and you looked and you swear you'll never do it again and you ask God to help you never do it again and then you look again and then you promise I'm never going to do it again and then you look again and then you surrender and you just get into it. Might as well. And then you feel sick and ashamed again and you can't get out. For some of you, it might be the wrong type of relationship. You go back. He mistreats you so you find someone else who mistreats you again. What do you do when you know it's not God's best? but you find yourself barely dressed and ashamed and you can't quite figure out how you got there. Well, I'm hoping today's podcast will reach somebody because I want to tell somebody about the faithfulness, the goodness, the grace of God that is available to you at this moment. The faithfulness of God. Paul said it this way. He said, our God is so faithful that he will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, our God will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. There's always grace. There's always the potential for freedom. He's always giving you a way out. It's a little bit like video games today. There are so many popular games today, right? There's Call of Duty, Final Fantasy. There's Fortnite and and so and so and so and so, right? But I grew up in a different era. I have to say it was a little more God-honoring era, okay? I'm just going to say it. it was a little more of a holy era, okay? It was an era of Pac-Man and Frogger and Donkey Kong and Mario Brothers and, and Dig Dug, right? Man, as just as I say those video games, I can just feel the presence of the Holy Spirit talking to us today, <laughs> right? I feel the presence of God, right? Anyway, there was also Asteroids. And I've shared this before. The graphics of Asteroids, oh my gosh. They were so 
unbelievable. There was a spaceship that was just, you know, a triangle. <laughs> it was just a triangle, okay? And there were asteroids that would come our way, and you had unlimited firepower, though, and you could blow up all your asteroids, and then that would break up into millions of little asteroids, and, and they would all be coming after your little triangle spaceship. And so you could just thrust forward a little bit and try to maneuver around it and stuff, and then, then whenever you were in trouble, there was a button. And oh, praise God, there was a button. And the button was called hyperspace. If you remember, you, you can feel the power, right? When you're in trouble, you would hit that hyperspace button and boom, your little spaceship would just disappear off the screen and you were somewhere else because there was always a way out. There's always a way out. In the kingdom of God, there is no hyperspace, but God does offer what is called hyper grace. Our God is faithful. He is faithful and he will always give you a way out. What do you do when you're tempted? I hope that you'll understand this powerful truth. I hope you'll understand this, that every temptation is an invitation to depend on Christ. Let me say that again. Every temptation is an invitation to depend on Christ. Every time you feel trapped, it's an invitation to depend on the grace of Jesus Christ. So what do you do when you're trapped? Well, you recognize that he gives you a way out. He doesn't look down on you and say, I'm embarrassed by you. I'm ashamed of you. Now go do whatever you do, okay? No, he says, you go be free. And because of my grace, you can be free. It's an invitation. Go your way and walk in truth. And when you rebuke the enemy and you return to God by rep, uh, repenting of your sins and, and receiving Christ, your spirit is reborn. Your mind is renewed. Your life is rebuilt. And while you're reconciled by the grace of Jesus Christ, you reap the rewards uh, of relationship, causing revival okay, to break free. And when you feel trapped and when you feel caught and when you feel broken and, and, and shamed, Jesus does not say, that wasn't good. Now go do what makes you happy. No, he says, I've got a better path for you. I'm not going to let anyone else throw stones at you. You go be free because holiness and happiness are not at odds. They're actually really connected. See, you were created to walk in truth, and that's where you'll find real, lasting joy and happiness. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. It's really been a pleasure to be able to talk to you uh, this week, and and uh, I, I'm really looking forward to what God has shared on my heart as we uh, continue this series on things that, that Jesus never said. And so my hope is that you will be joining us next week as we, we continue our series. We'll talk to you soon. If you'd like to know more about Venture Podcast or Chandler Acres Church, or if you'd like to support this ministry, please visit us at chandleracreschurch.com.